0: giant robots smashing into other giant robots. This is the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Will Larry, and with me today is Iris Shaw, founder of Emerge One and Projected.ai, and host of Off Balance and Nothing Venture Podcast. Iris, thank you for joining me.
1: It's great to be here, Will. Really happy to uh, be talking to you today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait to dive in and learn more about you. Tell me about your your journey. How did it all start?
1: Wow, it's a, it's a bit of a long one. I'll try and condense it, but um, you know, I am 44 years old at the moment. Uh, about 20 years ago, I came out of uni with a, a degree in languages which I found was sort of useful but not essential. So I ended up for a few years doing kind of the normal corporate thing. I worked with PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, Nortel Networks, uh, and then Deutsche Bank and I qualified as a as an accountant along the way, so I'm effectively what what you guys would consider a CPA over in the in the US. I then kind of up sticks. I spent the next 10 years of my life running a group of manufacturing and trading businesses alongside a property portfolio out in Papua New Guinea, which is you know a very, very interesting place to be. Definitely one of the hardest uh, environments to be building uh, and running businesses uh, for many reasons. I've had everything from people coming into one of my offices with guns. I had one of my factories burned to the ground and everything in between. So really, really great learning experience and certainly amazing to learn about physical products, you know, the manufacturing and and distribution and sale and so on of, of uh, actual physical products. And then in 2015, I came back to the UK, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I had a bunch of coffees with people and ended up as a founding CFO in an edtech venture, uh, which was a joint venture between Eton College, which is one of the premier schools here in the UK, where famously all of our prime ministers seem to come from, and Founders Factory, which is an accelerator that was founded by Brent Hoberman of lastminute.com fame. So that was really exciting. Like I was straight off the boat from Papua New Guinea, sitting ten foot away from Brent Hoberman, learning everything that there was to learn about tech sector here in the UK and and beyond. And had a really great couple of years working in that business and learning really everything there was to know about the VC ecosystem, uh, the early stage ecosystem, how to build products, how to finance them, how to sell into new territories. We were operating in China at the time and all sorts of other things. And then in 2017. I decided it was time to move on. And I became what you guys would probably call a fractional CFO. So I worked across seed through Series C businesses, everything from EdTech to FinTech, D2C, B2B, marketplaces, beauty tech, you name it, kind of been there, seen it and done it. And in 2019 and 2020, started getting approached by FDs and CFOs that wanted to work with me. And I really doubled down at that stage and decided to build Emerge One into what it is today, which is a consultancy providing CFO services to uh, venture-backed tech startups and scale-ups. So we work with a huge bunch of businesses here in the UK that are backed by VCs. Some of the big names here like Hoxton Ventures, Stride, Octopus, Outlier, uh, Founders Factory, and others. And I'm really, really passionate about Helping founders build their businesses in a scalable and you know sensible way, I guess, especially in the current environment. And so we're really lucky that we're trusted by, you know, these VCs and the founders that we work with to deliver, you know, really great services to them. And then a couple of years ago, because I'd been working kind of in the tech sector for so long, I started noodling around with a couple of ideas of projects that I wanted to move forward with. I raised a really small kind of pre-seed back in 2021 and started building a product, which is today projected.ai, which we have just launched or in the process of launching at the moment. And what that is, is effectively an email newsletter, if you can believe it, but providing internal and external data to our client businesses. So effectively, it's like a flash report of your financials alongside some really sort of personalized news about what's going on in your industry, alongside some other sort of bits and bobs that, that we're currently building in. On top of that, like a couple of years ago, again, I realized that I had a really good network of people that I had relationships with. And I decided to launch the Nothing Ventured podcast to start speaking with people that operated in the VC ecosystem here in the UK and beyond. So I've been really fortunate to have guests like Hussein Kanji from Hoxton Ventures, Matt Conwell from Rare Breed Ventures in the US, and, and various others. And really got to talk to them about why they got into venture, what they see is happening in the market, you know, what are they excited about and and all those sort of things. Because to be honest, I'm really passionate about learning and understanding about where people are coming from, why they do what they do, what drives them, what what they're passionate about, but equally the sort of challenges they've also faced. And that, you know, that's been going now for 60-odd episodes. We're launching season four uh, shortly, and I'm really lucky and fortunate to have been able to do that. And then finally at the back end of 2022, so in December, actually just as I was jumping on a plane, I sort of released uh, something on LinkedIn, which was like a hundred lessons I've learned as a CEO and CFO over the last 20 years of operating. And unexpectedly the thing went viral. I've had close to like a million views on it, thousands of likes, hundreds of comments and reshares. And I decided to turn what was effectively just a list into a short form podcast, which uh, has turned into Off Balance. So we're releasing that daily and kind of expanding on each and every one of those topics that I went through in that list. So yeah, look, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, someone with a finger in a lot of pies. I'm a massive generalist. So I love getting involved in different projects at different times, but I'm really fortunate to be able to do what I love doing. It's just been a wild journey for the last, you know, seven years, certainly, but you know, the whole 20 years of my life.
0: I love it. I love it. I love every idea that you had, it 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 weaves into that venture capitalist money idea. So let's let's start at emerge
1: one. When did you have that aha moment? This could work. So I I work a lot in strategy, right? So there's there's two forms of strategy. There's emergent and there's defined, right? So most people know about, you know, a strategy that's written down, it's a playbook, they go out and they pursue it. For me, it was really emergent. Firstly, I realized that there were not that many great CFOs operating in tech, right? Because it's not, certainly here in the UK, because it's to an extent a nation industry. And whilst there are great accountants and there are great finance leaders in larger businesses, actually doing that in a startup or a scale-up is very, very different. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some great CFOs out there. It's just that I think there are far fewer than many people assume there to be. So that was kind of the first thing that twigged with me. And I I was seeing a lot of businesses picking up people and calling them a CFO when I knew for a fact there was no way that they really had the experience to be able to call themselves a CFO or to to operate as one. So I guess that was the first aha moment. And the second aha moment was as I started talking to uh, more and more VCs via the podcast and just generally because I was out in the ecosystem talking to them, I realized that actually the work that I was doing was not being driven necessarily by the client companies, but actually by the VCs themselves themselves because you know they wanted to make sure that having invested one two five ten million pounds or dollars that you know those companies were in good hands and safe hands and you know that capital was being managed effectively and efficiently and obviously you know we're sitting in January of 2023 right now never has that been more appropriate more and more businesses are, are struggling they're struggling to raise they're having to extend their runways and figure out how to manage their cash uh, in a much much more significant way than maybe they had to 2 or 3 years ago and so for us that that's like you know a massively uh, important thing and having a great CFO in your business is going to help you do that uh, and and therefore we are getting approached more and more both by VCs as well as by companies, you know, that are just on the lookout for someone to help them. It was sort of a series of aha moments. But, you know, as I said earlier, it was an emergent strategy. It was something that kind of developed over time. But also, I'm someone that learned quite early on in my life to back myself. I think I took the punt on building this agency, if you like, because... It felt right. And it felt like something that I would enjoy doing. And it felt something that, you know, I could actually make a difference in. And I, and I think all of those things kind of culminated in, you know, really making emerge one, what it is today. And I'm really proud of what we've been able to achieve.
0: Yeah. Th- I love that idea because I feel like, especially in startups, like you said, there's just that excellent CFO is really hard to find. It's really hard to find.
1: Yeah. But
0: if you don't have the numbers, you don't have a business. Let's be honest. The numbers, you just don't have it.
1: Yeah, it it it's crazy to me. Over the last decade or so, we've had like obviously this period of super cheap money, super cheap capital. People have been raising at very inflated valuations. But we're seeing all of that come home to roost. You know, we're seeing that in the public markets. A lot of these companies that IPO'd over the last several years obviously have have had their valuations drop significantly. You know, companies like Peloton, I guess, and and others people are starting to realize that actually cash is king, right? Like they need to understand how the cash is flowing through their business. And to know that they need to have an intimate knowledge of their numbers. And in fact, like a lot of our role as a CFO in a business is to kind of coach the founder to make sure that they do understand those numbers and how they need to present them to internal stakeholders, external stakeholders, whether that's your board, whether that's investors or whether that's your employees to make sure that people have a good idea of not only how they're tracking but where they're heading and where the end goal is right and i think it's massively important I've, I've always been a massive advocate for people getting to grips with their numbers even if you're not a numbers person because especially if you're a founder or you're the leader in the business the ceo Ultimately, the buck stops with you. You've got to know those numbers. It's not good enough to say, "Well, you know, my CFO or my accountant has a handle on them." Like if you are sitting in an investor meeting trying to pitch them to raise, you know, five ten million bucks, you are going to need to know those numbers inside out. And it's astonishing how many people actually ignore those. And what I would say is, you know, ignore them at 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 your peril.
0: Yeah, that just blows my mind because put myself in an investor seat. If I am giving you money, I want the the head person, the CEO, to know exactly how to handle that money. So yeah, I love that idea. I love what you're doing. Let's go on to projected.ai. And if I understand this correctly, this is more of a, trying to find the words.
1: So it's like a newsletter on steroids.
0: Yeah, but it's it's to be honest about your numbers to board members and investors, correct?
1: Yeah, so projected.ai was born out of this understanding that I guess I have, right? Which is that CFOs and finance professionals working in like startups and scale-ups and SMEs, they have dashboard fatigue, right? We interviewed CFOs and they're operating off like 20 different dashboards, right? Each of them giving them different numbers, each of them telling them something different, and they don't even have time to look at those dashboards, let alone make decisions based on the numbers that are coming out of them. So what we wanted to do with Projected was provide a touch point for that CFO where they could check in with their numbers In a really easy way on a consistent regular basis. When I thought about this really clearly, I don't live in dashboards. Where I live is in the tools that I communicate in. So that's my emails, that may be my Slack channel, it may be WhatsApp, uh, you know, or iMessage or whatever it is that you use. But, you know, certainly for for business, it's going to be email and Slack for the most part. So I thought, what is the easiest way to communicate? with someone in their business. It is via one of those channels. And what are the things that they want to know? Well, they want to know what's happening in their business, what's changed, right, in their numbers over the last week or two weeks or month. But also what's happening outside their business, right? Because often, you know, in startups, we, we get so kind of tunnel visioned into what's happening inside the business. We don't take the time to look outside and figure out what others are doing or what may be happening in the macro environment that may have an impact on, on our business, right? And an obvious kind of case of that at the moment is, you know, interest rates having moved up quite significantly over the last several months and still going to, uh, as well as sort of inflation numbers also on their way up and central banks everywhere trying to rein those in. Like all of that's gonna have an impact on your business, especially if you're a consumer business, for example. And if you don't factor in all of those things, or if you don't look at all of the things that could impact your business, you're gonna make decisions with imperfect information and therefore you'll make imperfect decisions. Now, you're never gonna have perfect information, But the more information, the more pertinent information you have, the more transparent you can be exactly as you said to your board, to your shareholders, tell them exactly what's happening and get their advice to help you through those rough patches. Ultimately, we've got some tricks up our sleeves in terms of what we're going to be doing with those numbers and how we're going to be presenting them uh, and how we're going to be manipulating them uh, when, when we do show them to our users. But I kind of felt like we've moved past that time where CFOs were only about, you know, the numbers looking backwards. A really great CFO today is all about communication, information. It's about turning data into information, turning numbers into narrative. Yeah, that's what we wanted to build, a a tool that could support them and help them really be, you know, the best CFO they can be. Yeah, that's
0: amazing. Transparency is the word I was looking for. So you nailed it. Yeah. So I love that idea, the transparency of the numbers of the business is is using AI so that's that's amazing makes it a lot easier to send it out and to make it happen so i love that idea
1: yeah i mean the interesting thing is right like obviously we've all been hearing a lot about generative ai and large language models at the moment and we've definitely got plans to incorporate that into what we're doing but the other side of that is you got to be really really careful obviously because as we all know that there are biases that can creep in to any of those sort of ai driven models but equally there are inaccuracies and in fact a lot of those models tend to be great with words, not great with numbers. So, you know, one has to be really, really careful about bringing those tools into play. And because we know what we're doing, we can assess for that and make sure that, you know, the information that we're putting out there is the right sort of information. But actually what we can do in terms of modeling out cash flows and revenue and and effectively forecasting out a business, because bearing in mind, like, a lot of startups, most startups, most scale-ups, most SMEs, they don't have the balance sheet, they don't have the money to go out there and build an AI tool themselves, right? They just simply don't. And they may not have the wherewithal in-house, but they certainly, you know, almost certainly don't have the cash. So what we're doing is hopefully providing a bridge for them to get better information in terms of what's happening today, but also maybe an inkling of what might happen tomorrow, which helps them again to plan better. And again, comes back to this whole thing around decision-making, transparency, and making sure that, you know, they're able to look at their numbers with confidence and communicate those to others with confidence and really understand what's driving those numbers, you know, as they keep building their businesses. But, you know, everything we do at Projected, everything I do definitely as as, as a founder, as someone that operates in this ecosystem, is all driven to how do we make the ecosystem better? How do we help founders? How do we help their companies? How do we make sure, you know, we can drive that number down from, you know, ninety percent of startups failing within the first three or five years, how do we turn that number into seventy percent, sixty percent or less? Right. So that's all about information. It's all about giving those hard won lessons, hard learned lessons back to founders and and guiding them, I guess, you know, in the best way we can.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Thoughtbot is thrilled to announce our own incubator launching this year. If you are a non-technical founding team with a business idea that involves a web or mobile app, we encourage you to apply for our eight-week program. We'll help you move forward with confidence in your team your product vision, and a roadmap for getting you there. Learn more and apply at tbot.io slash incubator. That's t-b-o-t dot i-o slash i-n-c-u-b-a-t-o-r. Let's transition to talk a little bit about you. I love to just ask questions to the founders because honestly, what founders go through is just amazed me that you continue to go, you wake up and you do it over and over again. So it's amazing. So kudos to you. So let's talk about that. Why, why do you wake up every morning and do emerge one, do projected.io, do the podcasts? What's your why?
1: I'm in therapy trying to figure that, figure the answer <laughs> out myself, right? No, look, I mean, I think what drives me again, it's it's that sense of purpose of helping others, It's also the scratching the itch. I think, you know, a lot of founders, it's about scratching that itch. There is something that you can see that is wrong in the universe and you want to fix it. You know, if I think about those various sort of businesses or podcasts, each of them attracts me in different ways. So Emerge One, we get to help lots of businesses, providing them really, really significant kind of support. And we're working with great VCs, with great clients, great startups and scale-ups at projected we get to expand that range right because you're no longer reliant on one person providing a cfo service or like a you know a bench of 20 people or whatever you know we can now do that across hundreds thousands of startups if needs be with the podcasts it's a combination of learning and hopefully also providing some learning to others, right? Helping them understand a bit more. So the Off Balance podcast, right? These are like two minute short episodes, which go into the detail of those hundred lessons that I've learned and you know some of them are very very personal to me right but they're probably applicable across most businesses and all i'm doing is exploring those in a bit more detail and hopefully passing that on so that some other founder somewhere doesn't have to go through the same pain of learning that lesson they can look out for the signals and figure out how to deal with it in advance and nothing ventured it kind of it scratches my itch to learn more about the vc ecosystem right i was you know if you if you imagine i'd spent 10 years out in New Guinea. There was I had no idea what venture capital was out there. Like I really didn't understand what the tech ecosystem was when I arrived there. We were still on dial up. There was no mobile telephones. Like you know, it wasn't until two thousand and eight nine that mobile telephony really kind of picked up over there. So uh, when I came back to the UK, I was just surrounded by all of this stuff, which I was massively curious about. And so everything I've done since then is, is about scratching that curiosity and learning. And I think, you know, that, that drives pretty much everything that I do in life uh, in general, which is this huge passion to kind of learn and understand the world a bit better and to hopefully pass on whatever I can to others, because, you know, I just, I think life's too short to kind of hoard it all for yourself. Like the more you can give, you know, the better the world is.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Let's give a sneak peek into Off Balance. You said that you use that to kind of teach lessons that you've kind of learned along the way. What have been some of the big obstacles that you've come across?
1: Oh, wow. I mean, like there are 100 lessons in there. So I'm gonna have to pick like a couple of my favorites. Oh, okay so one which actually I, I posted about today on LinkedIn it was like the episode we dropped today which is higher slow fire fast and I got a lot of flack about this actually talking about it on LinkedIn when I first posted it and the reason I think that I got a lot of flack was you know all all people read with those four words higher slow fire fast and they just assumed what I was saying was you should fire in in the vein of like a lot of the the larger tech sort of businesses over the last couple of years where you know maybe they've sent a, a mass text message or email and just sacked a bunch of people and that's That's absolutely not what I'm advocating for. Like, I think you should always be human when you are dealing with people all the time. But the things that I've really learned is if you don't have a process to hire people well, you end up hiring the wrong people and you end up hiring people that either don't have a fit in the business or are just not the right people in terms of their ability to to do what you need them to do. And we're all probably aware of this fact by now, but it it bears repeating, right? Right all of us, when we are talking to other people, we look for reflections of ourselves, right? So when we are hiring people, we look for people that emulate how we see ourselves, whether that's in the way they talk, in the way they dress, whether they look like us or whether, you know, whether they come from a similar background, right? And I think those are all obviously negative biases that we all need to remove. And the way you can remove those is in a couple of ways. So one, use data wherever possible and use data points. Secondly, Have a process that makes sure that you have a really uh, strong top of funnel, bringing in candidates from across all sort of all sectors, all experiences. I make sure that there are several people involved in that process, so that you know, you're all giving your feedback on an individual so that you can make sure that actually, if I thought this person was going to be great in this role, but you know, maybe my CTO thinks they're not, they're going to be mediocre. We can have that conversation and understand where those challenges have come up and hopefully get to a place where we either decide, actually, yeah, you know what, we shouldn't hire this person or actually, yeah, you know what, I I think you're right. I'm convinced that this is the right person. We should go for them. But I think, you know, the point is companies can lose hundreds of thousands of dollars hiring the wrong person. That's in recruitment fees and training fees and like lost time et cetera, et cetera. so it makes sense to do it right right from the beginning yep and the flip side of that is if you have hired someone and they turn out to be a toxic person or not fit for purpose in terms of the role that they're doing the point is not to then you know just send them an sms and say you know you're fired the point is you know donald trump style no the, the <laughs> point is actually to take the decision really quickly right so If you realize that that person is not working out, then make the decision, and execute on that decision as quickly as possible because i've seen too often and and have done you know done it myself to the business's detriment i've seen too often you know people sitting on a decision to move someone on and that's ended up you know leading to problems in the business because other employees other members of the team will recognize that toxicity or that person isn't putting their weight or they aren't able to do the job even And, you know, that will just lead to negative impact on the rest of the business as well. So that's definitely one I would always come back to is like, you know, hire slow, fire fast. I I think I'm happy to take more flack on it because I strongly believe it is something that, you know, more founders and more, more businesses should take heed of. And the other one, I think it was number one on my list for a reason, and that's cash trumps everything, right? Like, And today, mm-hmm. even more so than anything else. I think businesses have over the last, certainly in the venture kind of ecosystem over the last sort of five years, growth at all costs has been the mantra that's throwing you know dollars at marketing and just building new customers uh, or buying new customers, I should say, to supercharge growth when actually that isn't sustainable and it doesn't necessarily lead to good outcomes in the future. My preference is twofold. One, you know, spend as much time and money as you can in cultivating your existing customers. Make sure you're really giving them delight in whatever product or service you're providing them, because that means that they're going to stay with you longer. They're going to pay themselves back in terms of how much it costs to acquire. And hopefully they're going to be advocates for your business. And all of that basically leads to a better cash bottom line, right? And today, always, but today uh, over and above any other period, I think over the last five, 10 years, cash trumps everything because you know, you are only as good as your runway. And when you run out of money in this market, it's very hard to go out and try and raise additional capital. And raising capital at the sort of valuations that people have also been used to over the last several years is getting harder and harder, if not, you know, impossible. So those those are probably the two that I would always come back to. So the highest slow, fire, fast, cash trumps everything. And it's better to spend money retaining and loving your customers than trying to constantly acquire new ones.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Let's flip it to the other side. What have been some of your some biggest wins in life?
1: I mean, I'm going to say the obvious one. My biggest wins are my family, you know, my wife, my kids. Uh, I've got two beautiful daughters, you know, one's 21, one's 15. I hope we've raised them to be well-adjusted children. Like we've given them, I think, the ability to go out and do what they want in life, uh, and that's really important to me. You know, my wife, her and I have been together for twenty years. You know, we've had our ups and downs, but today I think we we make an amazing team, uh, and I'm really fortunate to have her in my life. If I think about you know wins and success in business, it's really hard for me, and and again because I think success is. A state of mind. It's not something you can chase. And I think yeah. too many people get caught up in this sort of idea of, you know, I'll be successful when. Uh, and what I mean is, like, I'll be successful when I've raised that big series A, or I'll be successful when I've exited my business, or I'll be successful when I've made that huge sale, or when I've hired that, you know, Rockstar employee, or, or made it to founder, or whatever it is. If you approach success with the attitude of you are already a success, whatever you're doing, you are alive today, living in one of the most exciting times on the planet. You know, you are a successful human being, whatever anyone else says, that's a major win in itself. And understanding that state of mind that you have to be in is something that it takes a really long time to understand and, and really internalize. And I think the way that I've managed to get to that place is I've realized that In the past, either I was chasing success or I was waiting for someone else to tell me that I've been successful. Uh, When in reality, if I judge success based on my own benchmarks, then it's impossible for me to look at what I've done and say, I haven't been successful. You know, I've got two businesses, two podcasts, like who knows, one of those businesses may fall over. Uh, One of those podcasts may not get, you know, a single listener or whatever. But the mere fact that I've shown up and broken ground on all of that stuff for me is, I think, an indication of success. It's something I'm really proud of. And, you know, as I move forward in life, I'm always going to try to do better But I already know that whatever successes or failures I may have in the future, I've already been successful. And I think that's the thing that all of us should hold on to in life.
0: Yep. I totally agree with that. And I really, really like that. So I'm going to close it out with this. What advice uh, would you go back and give yourself when you first started at the very beginning, knowing what you know now?
1: I would say from the age of like 15 to the age of getting on for 37, 38, I was a product of what other people wanted. What I did at school, what I did at, what I what I studied at, well, what I studied at university is what I wanted to do, but it was almost in retaliation for what other others wanted me to do. You know, where I worked, the sort of path that I trod was very much kind of based on culturally, familiarly, what was expected of me kind of growing up in a in a very middle, middle class and privileged background. It wasn't until I came back to the UK from Papua New Guinea, where I, I basically came back with nothing to my name and no idea what I was going to do. And I started doing things that I wanted to do and started backing myself in spite of what other people were saying. So even when I left that first job working at the edtech business, you know someone, one of my cousins turned around and said, "Why are you leaving that job? It's paying you a really good salary. Like why would you leave that to do this thing?" And I had someone else, an angel investor, who's one of my closest friends. she you know, she turned around and said, "Well, if one of my portfolio companies came and said, oh, they're they're looking to bring in a CFO, I tell them they're stupid and spend their money elsewhere." And I was like, "Nope, I can see that there is something to be done in this space. I'm going to go and do it. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, again, it's, it's paid off. And I think so. So I think the one piece of advice I would have given to myself and I would give to everyone is, you know, back yourself early on. You may not have the experience to do everything. You may not have the network. You may not have the cash. You certainly, you know, you may not have the friends and family that can invest in you or whatever it might be, yeah. but take that first step back yourself because ultimately if you can't back yourself, no one else is going to.
0: Mm, wow. That's really good. Really good. Wow. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that because it's kind of the initial stage of that self-care, especially as a founder. Like if you don't believe in yourself, how can you even ask someone else for it? Because they can see like, well, is this a good investment? Are you going to see it through? or Are you going to quit?
1: Yeah. And, and, and in fact, I'd add to that, like one of the other things I've said is, uh, but I, I came to this late in life is like, if my mind and my body aren't healthy, then my business can't be either. Yeah. I you know, I realized quite late in life, as I say, like probably mid-30s again, that I'd probably done more damage to my body than I needed to through my diet, through whatever proclivities I might have had. The most amazing I've ever felt is today, where I'm, you know, exercising daily, where I'm taking care of myself mentally taking the time to like, think about what is important to me and to show gratitude for a lot of stuff as well. And exactly as you say, if you're not looking after yourself, it's really, really hard to look after a business, to look after team members. And certainly when other people are looking at you, they're going to kind of sit there and say, well, you know, how safe is my money in, in this guy's hands? Or how, you know, do I think that this person is gonna be able to see it through? So a hundred percent, like the two things are back yourself and look after yourself. I think those two really important things.
0: All right. To close out the podcast, is there anything that you would like to share or uh, share with the audience?
1: I mean, I think it's been awesome speaking to you. I would love for everyone to come and check out Nothing Ventured and the Off Balance podcasts. And please like, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me, follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handles are ads in UK, so that's at adsinuk. Both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, you can find me Aris Shah on LinkedIn, obviously as well. I'm always keen to hear from people, learn from people, talk to them. All I would ask is be gentle with each other. Come find me, come have a chat, and uh, yeah, it's been awesome speaking to you today.
0: Yeah, it's been great talking to you too. And I'm gonna lead by uh, leadership, and I'm gonna look you up on LinkedIn, Twitter. Check out the podcast. I'm excited about that. So looking forward to it.
1: Amazing. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you.
0: You can subscribe to the show and find notes along with a complete transcript for this episode at GiantRobots.fm. If you have any questions or comments, email us at host at GiantRobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at Will23Larry. This podcast is brought to you by Thoughtbot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot, your expert strategy, design, development, and product management partner. We bring digital products from idea to success and teach you how because we care. Learn more at ThoughtBot.com.